0: is found in the epistle of Paul to the Philippians in the first chapter. I'll be reading the entire chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being fulfilled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill the one preach christ of contention not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds but the other of love knowing that i am set for the defence of the gospel what then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is preached and i therein do rejoice yea and will rejoice for i know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with, with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your reckoning, excuse me, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Now turn to Galatians. Well, I'll tell you what, let's not do that. Let's talk about that in a minute. Today we're uh, dealing with nothing less than what has been called Paul's autobiography. He says, uh, particularly in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In Galatians, the second chapter... Paul says something very, very similar. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, there are four distinct statements in the first half of the sentence, and they stand alone, particularly in this comparison verse with Galatians. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Philippians says, he dies. Remember, he said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Galatians, he says, Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In Philippians, he says, To me, to live is Christ. So it's pretty much the same idea, just in different words and a reversal of order. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, I live. Again, in in Galatians, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What is he saying? Is he saying he's physically alive? Or is he talking spiritually? Or does he say something else entirely? Let's not read it as though Paul is saying that he is dead, either physically or spiritually. He doesn't say that at all. His words are, it is no longer I who live. So somebody is living. What happened to Paul? Well, he's saying it's not the old Paul. My body is still alive, but the person that I was no longer lives in this body. He's saying I'm a new creature. Later on in the letter to the Galatians, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creature. What that means is, he's talking to uh, people who understand uh, in that that time, they hear what he's saying, is that in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do outwardly to show that you're a believer. Back then it was circumcision. He said that doesn't matter, but you're a new creature inwardly in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, it's so easy for us to just gloss over those words. We read them, but we often we don't stop and think about them. I think one reason for that is advertising has hijacked the words. We become used to hearing about new and improved, uh, the latest thing. Uh, I mean... You buy a, a computer today and next year, oh, that's old, you know. First it was 2G phones and then 3G, and now we have 4G, and you got to get the latest thing. And the, what was the latest thing last month And computer software? No, that's been updated. And we hear about advertising for something that will make you a new person. Awaken the sleeping giant within you. That's the Tony Robbins phrase uh, and such. So we become hardened to hearing uh, these grandiose advertising phrases. We're so used to hearing that sort of talk when Paul says something that sounds sort of like what the ad pitchmen say, we sort of mentally kind of put it in the same category. Not that we're conscious of doing it. We wouldn't consciously do that with the word of God. But being exposed to such phrases in everyday life produces a a numbness of mind and I might say a hardness of heart. Uh, When we hear them, our brain says, "Yeah, yeah, okay, I've heard that sort of stuff before. Uh, and that carries over into our reading of God's Word, and then we miss the truth in our hardness of heart. Uh, and by missing the truth, we miss the blessing. But unlike the TV ad pitchman, what Paul is saying is absolutely real and absolutely dependable. He's telling us what has actually happened in his own life. Now, I don't know if you know about those infomercials, uh, but they are, uh, uh, a lot of them are phony. Uh, in in our uh, in our business we know some of those people and we come across them in our business and that do infomercials and they've told us out, outright that the, that the people they use on saying well I made forty thousand dollars last month using you know Tom's techniques they are paid to say that and quite often those are just out and out lies or they'll maybe they made forty thousand dollars but it cost them a hundred thousand dollars to do it <laughs> so uh, know how they say if you how to become a millionaire in las vegas start with two million dollars uh, and that's you know that's that's the, the the facts of it but what paul is telling us is not some pop psychology or a late night infomercial he's not saying i made a million dollars in one week with the god system and you can too <laughs> you know he isn't saying oh i've found myself i've gotten in touch with my feelings my inner consciousness now i now I have self-esteem. No, he's not saying that either. See, that's all that self-centered buzzwords of our culture, uh, our narcissistic culture, I might add, a culture that worships the creature rather than the creator. Paul is saying the complete opposite. He says, my old self is dead, and another person has taken its place. Not in some vague dream world sense, you know, in the fog out there, but actually happened. Actual concrete fact, another person now runs his life. Now, how is that possible? We're talking about possession, demonic possession. No, obviously it's not demonic possession. No, it's Holy Spirit possession. You know, I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches, that everyone is possessed. They're either possessed by the Holy Spirit or they're possessed by the spirit of Satan. So uh, it's kind of scary when, it, when we put it in that in that uh, in that way. But the old self is now been. Here is Holy Spirit possession. What what the Bible calls the old man is dead. He was in Christ. He died on the cross. He is crucified with Christ. And the new man lives. Colossians 3. Ye have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now what does that all mean? Put off the old man with his deeds. Put on the new man. Some people have tried to figure it out. Uh, After applying their best brain power... Uh, They've come to a conclusion, becoming a Christian makes you a better person. Well, when we were in Turkey a couple of months ago, where 98, 99% of the people are Muslim, we did a lot of questioning about people's faith, wanted to know more about this. What do you believe? What about these sections of of, uh, the Quran that say to kill Christians and don't be friends with Christians? And if they won't convert, you're to kill them and you're the enemy. We ask them a lot of questions like that. And one of the questions that we would ask him is, why are you Muslim? Why aren't you Christian or Buddhist or something else? And their answer quite often was, well, first of all, they've never been asked that question before. So they, like, never thought about it. And most, most of the time we'd hear things like, well, it makes me a better person. You know, I'd be a much worse person if I didn't believe in Allah. And that's kind of like what people think here in the United States what Christianity is like in Canada or Australia or wherever uh, the predominantly Christian countries they think well I'm a Christian makes me a better person uh, I'll be a better parent I'm a better husband or better wife better child better employee better boss better citizen and therefore society will be better now those are great things who doesn't want that but that is not the message of the Bible in fact it is the modern gospel, so-called. Accept Christ because it'll make your life so much better. You can go to almost any church; you'll almost very likely to be hurt hear that gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ because he'll make your life better. Maybe they won't say it in so many words, but that's you know their hymns that say that you know what he's done for me, and and it's, it's a me a me-centered gospel. Uh, You'll get all sorts of good things if you become a Christian. Your life will be wonderful if you just accept Jesus. You'll get blessings on earth and heaven too. Why wouldn't you do that? Now, Christians certainly do, as a general rule, make better husbands and wives and children and employees, etc., and better citizens. And we praise the Lord for that. And that's a great blessing to families, to the country, to the workplace. So any country would be better off if the majority of citizens lived by the Bible. I think we can all agree on that. But think about what this become a Christian to make your life better is all about. The defining of the gospel to mean you get so many rewards, so many benefits to convince you to become a Christian. Did Jesus ever teach that the reason to trust him is by doing so you'll be a better person? Uh that if you're a musician, you, oh, you'll be a better musician or you'll be a better truck driver or a better teacher or farmer or waitress or doctor? Now it's all true, but is that the essence of the gospel? Is that what Jesus taught? Now, isn't that appealing to our self-interest? Isn't it in fact, a man-centered gospel? Now, the question is, is the gospel of Christ to be centered on man or on Jesus Christ? Now, you know the answer. Christ is all in all. What does the Bible say? We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. So the man-centered gospel is no gospel at all. It's a glossed over, gussied up gospel trying to appeal a natural man's inwards desires. And it's so easy to preach a gospel like that. And it grows churches. You know, you get, a, uh, get music that people like. We've talked about this before. Get a stage, get a... Backdrop with a lot of clouds and turn up the re- reverb knob on the amp so you know you can sort of sound like God himself when you preach. Uh, and just preach about all the wonderful things that will happen to your listeners if they'll just reach out and grab Jesus' hand. You know, the Jesus is reaching down from heaven and he, he's, he wants you to grab his hand to be saved. Or the one that's crying and whining on his knees begging for him, please, please make a decision for me. Now, you'll very likely make a great living, or a good living anyway, preaching that kind of gospel. You might even get your own show on television. But do you think the Lord tolerates the twisting of his gospel? The only gospel found in God's word has no attraction to the natural man, the unsaved man, who has not been given ears to hear. As we, we read in uh, the Gospel of John today, they, uh, for, quoting from Isaiah, He has not given them ears to hear, has not given them eyes to see. If they had ears to hear and eyes to see, they would turn and believe. But the only person who finds the true gospel atta- attractive is the person who is convicted of his sin. The only person who finds the true gospel attractive is the person who is convicted of his sin. If you know someone who's indifferent to the Gospel, to reading the Bible, you know someone who's unsaved. They just go hand in hand. Now, some more than others. Does that mean you spend all your time reading the Bible and and praying? No, not what I'm saying. Some people more than others. But if there is no genuine basic love, if they're rather indifferent to the Bible, to the message of Christ, to the gospel, that's a pretty good indication that that they they need a lot of prayer. See, the good news of God's word is radical. It cuts to the bone. It says that receiving Christ, not accepting him, that's man-centered, receiving Christ as the passive agent makes you another person. It's active to us, by the way. It seems like we make the decision and, and we do it, but Bible teaches actually, no, it's passive. It's the Lord. Lazarus was dead, wasn't he? He didn't didn't have ears to hear until God gave him ears to hear, and then he could hear Lazarus come forth. So receiving Christ doesn't make you a better person, it makes you another person. See, receiving Christ is exactly what what it is. It's possession by the Holy Spirit. Now just because it happens to you in your spirit doesn't make it untrue, don't make the mistake of thinking only what you can see with your eyes or touch with your hands is true. It's called in philosophy that's called empiricism Empiricism that only what, what can what can be seen and felt and, and figured out uh, is, is true well, uh, well, the figure it out part would be rationalism, but uh, experientialism or uh, this idea that that only what you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands is true, is empiricism. Nobody really believes that. Even though people who say that they do, they, they, they don't really believe it. If they did, they'd have to deny the existence of any place they've never been. Uh, in fact, most, most of what we believe, we haven't seen for ourselves, have we? Uh, do you believe that Abraham existed? Abraham Lincoln existed? And do you believe he was president of the United States? How do you know? Or the American Revolution took place? How, how do you know? Because you were taught it in school. What if it was all lies? Uh, because you trust what the news media tells you? My point is most things we believe are things that we can't see with our eyes or touch with our hands. Christ's spirit enters into your body. It is a literal fact. God's word says it does. It says he does. It. So receiving Christ is exactly what the words say. You receive him. His spirit comes in, takes up residence in your body. Over and over again, the scriptures speak of believers being in Christ. give you some examples. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So we, in 1 Corinthians 1, being many, are one body in Christ. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Christ in us, the hope of glory etc. No longer I who live but Christ lives in me. See the genuine Christian life is not so much a believer's living for Christ as Christ living in the believer. Get the difference? It's not so much a person's living for Christ as Christ living in the believer. There's a sense in which if you say I live for Christ that's first and foremost who's doing the living I'm doing the living. The Christian life becomes in a way centered on me living for Christ. But the Christian life isn't centered on the believer it's centered on Christ who comes in and takes up residence as the Holy Spirit takes up residence. He's the vine were the branches. John 15, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me or live in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. What would happen to a, a vine, a grapevine, let's say, if you cut it off? Uh, cut off the branch, rather, from the, from the main stem. You know what's going to happen. It's going to die. It has to be attached to that main stem, which draws up the nourishments from the soil and feeds the branch. That's what, that's what Jesus said we are. We're the branches. He's the vine. We can't live without him. We can do nothing without him. So Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It's not I that am doing the living, trying to imitate Christ, but Christ living in me. He says the same thing as we saw in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Luke says the same thing in Acts 17.28, for in him we live and move and have our being, or our existence, by the way that's being is translated also as existence. 2 Corinthians 6.16 For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, not with, in. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And Leviticus 26.12 says very much the same thing. See, God doesn't give us power to imitate him. He gives us Himself. He doesn't just give us power to imitate Him. He gives us Himself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, If you try to imitate Christ, the world will praise you. If you become like Christ, the world will hate you. See, Christians aren't just nice people. They're vile, evil people whom God has decided to save to indwell. They're new creatures. If you're the same person you were before you were a Christian, I'm sorry, but you're not a Christian. That doesn't mean if you were saved last week and you feel like this, if you're pretty much the same person that you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. It takes Sanctification takes time. But if you think you've been a Christian for years and years and you see that you're doing the same thing and thinking the same things and you're, you're exactly pretty much the way you've always been before you were a Christian, you've got a problem. But Dr. Lloyd Jones also said by definition, a Christian should be a problem and an enigma to every person who is not a Christian. Are you a problem and an enigma? You know what an enigma is? A, a mystery. They can't figure out what you're all about, what your motivations are, why you do what you do. Are you a problem and an enigma to every person you know who's not a Christian? Now, Receiving Christ doesn't just make you a better person. Receiving Christ makes you another person. Romans 8 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. If the Spirit of God lives in you, then no other spirit can live in you. God demands 100%. Second Corinthians 6, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, as we cited before, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So once and for all get rid of the idea that the Christian life is simply your old life with a new paint job. The Lord doesn't give you that option. The Lord doesn't give you power to imitate Him. He gives you Himself. Let's pray.